Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Green and Milner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Me and Sam have just interviewed presenting royalty. ITV's very own Ed Chamberlain, who you would probably more be more recognised if you're a football fan, uh, as the Premier League anchor f- taking over Richard Keyes. It's about 10 years ago now. Um, yeah. Obviously, after that famous incident with Richard Keyes and Andy Gray, but Ed Chamberlain, a very recognisable name and face in regards to football and horse racing, Sam. Oh, this this is um, really interesting. Um, it's not heavily Newcastle United related this week, um, which will please some of you, but it will disappoint others. But there is so much, so many interesting stories and so many interesting nuggets to come out of this one. Um, and by the way, what a lovely man! Very what a so. lovely man. Um, so yeah, really, really. I mean, we both have similar backgrounds. Me, Ed Chamberlain, and uh, Alicia Dixon from Mystique all work slash worked for Ladbrokes. So, you know, what a come dine with me that would be. Um, so, yeah, but what a, what a top, top bloke. So we go into to his broadcasting history, um, memorable moments at Newcastle, and um, his cancer scare as well, which um, made him change his perspective on life and influenced his future greatly. Yeah, and... He's done, I think, so many different stuff, especially at Sky, and worked with some Northeast royalty in terms of Jeff Stelling, uh, for example, and you know, working alongside Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, what a roller coaster for Ed in regards to Premier League football scenes. Like I was, there were some moments I didn't even get a chance to mention with uh, with Ed. He, he, he mentions obviously the Aguero moment. That was his first full year as the anchor with Gary Neville. And you got to see probably the best moment in Premier League history, some would argue. But is Leicester winning the league? Obviously, he mentions Sir Alex Ferguson leaving Manchester United. Obviously, Brendan Rodgers leaving Liverpool live on air. And the whole uh, Thierry, yeah. Thierry Henry touching the thigh of Jamie Carragher. That would have been a good moment to talk about. But there's so, several... But we didn't. Brilliant. No. <laughs> yeah, but I we know. didn't. Sorry. But we, <laughs> but we had we had several... There were several moments that we talked about. He's a big, big... Southampton fan is Ed, and obviously Matt Letizia gets a mention, which kills a little bit inside of me as a Newcastle fan, which does with Samuel Mulner as well, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, an absolute menace of my youth was Letizia. Always used to score past us and always used to score worldies against us. It was very irritating, but we we had we used to have a horrible record down the dell as as, as we go on, as we mentioned. But um, yeah, big Southampton fan, big racing fan, as uh, as me and Ed both are. So there is some more after the Mick Quinn episode. There's more horsey chat, um, but I don't, we don't overkill it, do we, Johnny? I know we lost you briefly on some aspects, but yeah. Now, so it's it only about five minutes or so, which is, which oh, is absolutely fine. Yeah. He is ITV's main horse racing presenter, and they have exactly. Around, so it's it is fair enough. But um, yeah, we mentioned all things um, Premier League. Really, I'd say it's more of a Premier League show than more Newcastle. There is Newcastle yeah. elements to this, but I would say Premier League's probably more uh, gets more of a mention, shall we say? Um, but it's there's some fantastic features. He talks about his time at Sky Sports News as well, and works with uh, he had worked with uh, Pete Graves. Uh, back in the day as well. So Pete does get a mention, obviously one of our older episodes um, earlier on in the Green and Mulner show. And um, yeah, been fantastic so far. Uh, quickly mention uh, BF52, big thanks to them. We've almost done a year of episodes and BF52 have been there from day one 
all the way up to now. And we can only thank them for their dedicated support over the last 12 months or so, especially in these very difficult times. But um, you can get any eight cans of beer, I paste out or lager for five ninety five. And just by the time this episode is out of England, are still in the Euros. Make sure you get a few beer 52 cans while the Euros are on and maybe coming home. Your beers will definitely uh, be coming home anyway. Um, but Sam, a bit of football, a bit of horse racing and a bit of presenting. It's a bit of everything for you, isn't it? Oh, it's just my favourite day ever. What more do you What more do you need if you're me? Uh, well, beer 52, obviously. But yeah, no, really good. Um, this is actually, yeah, one of my favourite ones, I think. So... Uh, I hope you all enjoy it as much as we did making it. We did. Very much so. Well, sit back, relax, and enjoy the Green and Milner Show with Ed Chamberlain. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Green and Milner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Today, myself and Sam are joined by a man who's presented some of the biggest sporting events in the UK, including Premier League football and the biggest horse racing meetings. God, God knows the man. Basically, the Grand National, the Cheltenham Royal Ascot. The list goes on. And it is a big welcome to the former Sky Sports and now ITV presenter, Ed Chamberlain. Welcome to the show, Ed. Johnny, Sam, thank you very much for having me on. What an honour this is. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was being serious. I'm very touched. Well, Ed, you were just, t- you were just talking about off-camera. Last week you met the Queen and now this week you get to meet me and Sam. You must be very honoured. Royalty, week in, week out. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it was, it was actually... It, it special, but that was very special on Saturday because we, we didn't know if the Queen was going to come all week and then word got round she was coming and yeah with the car arriving and don't forget I've not seen a, a human being on a racehorse for about a year let alone Her Majesty the Queen and she got out of her car Johnny and the place erupted and she had this massive beaming smile on her face and it, it was a very moving moment actually it was real spine tingling. How does that compare with uh, going into a Sky Studio with Neville and Carragher? I'm, I'm guessing they, they, they <laughs> command a, a similar reception. <laughs> a contrast, I think it's fair to say. Um, with her majesty at the weekend, she's so into the racing. She, she didn't look like she was talking too much to the people around her. She'd be looking at the race car and looking at the horses. When Neville and Carragher come into a room, it's, it's relentless. You need earplugs. They, they never stop. Neville from four o'clock in the morning, uh, he's just at you while Carragher... It's just an absolute menace. He's, he's always up to no good. And you've got to be on your toes because something's going to be left somewhere or he's going to have some practical joke done on you or both both absolutely relentless but brilliant at the same time. I, I love them dearly. Oh, the, the camaraderie on camera, it, it just seemed fantastic between all three of you, especially on Monday Night Football, which we'll mention a little bit later on. Sure. Um, but I want to go all the way back, um, Ed, to be honest with you. I want, I want to know why you, want, you got into this field, why sports journalism, why presenting, um, what was the biggest thrill that you wanted to achieve at the very beginning? I wanted to work in sport, Johnny, in some capacity. had no desire to go into television whatsoever. My, my first thought of call was being a bookmaker. But when, when I was a bookmaker at Labrooks, I very much saw it as my route into sport. It's not something I wanted to do forever. In fact, when I first went there, I was only on a two-week contract. So I thought, I'll do this for two weeks and then go and do something um, something different but I ended up staying there for three and a half years and loved it and it was a great education for me about sport and about life I was very green behind the ears and it very quickly became apparent to me I wanted to work in sports journalism I wanted to get in to that side of things um, 
which is why I left to, to, to do a startup, which sort of combined both my loves, the sports betting and sports journalism. So I, I was part of the setup um, that created a thing called Sports Advisor magazine and internet site. The internet back then, you two were probably barely born. It was just coming in, <laughs> it was just coming into fashion. And for a while, it looked like we were going to make it with this magazine, but there was a dot-com crash in the late 90s, I think, and that disappeared, by which time, I used to go on Bloomberg TV to promote my magazine as the editor. And it just shows anyone watching who, who wants to get into this world, you need a bit of luck. You know, I was on Bloomberg TV talking absolute nonsense about the weekend sport and the Sky executive, I think probably in a hotel somewhere on a business trip or holiday, happened to be watching Bloomberg TV, saw me, thought I had a little bit of promise and got me into to Sky to have a trial. Um, and because I thought I was a world-beating journalist, I wasn't really that fussed at the time. So I went in there without care in the world. Well, I was probably up against people who had their heart set on it. And yeah, I got the job. And then my career took quite a dramatic turn from there, really. What would you say, um, because we have something in common, because I still work for Ladbrokes, <laughs> as it okay. goes. Um, but I, I've been there nine years now. So, so you know, asking for, for a, a friend. What would you say to someone who make, wants to make that transition from Ladbrokes to what you're doing now? Well, I mean, in Ladbrokes, Sam, as you know, there's so many different aspects to it. Um, do you, what do you do? It's a bit of studio work? or? No, I'm, I'm a shop manager, so I'm, okay. I'm, on, oh, even I'm on the front line. Yeah, Even better. I was on the front line briefly. I worked in the shop in the North End Road. The last shop, Sam, that used to have a glass front. So you'd, you'd, you'd take bets and pay out from behind glass. Uh, yes. That was because it was quite lively back then, that area, with the um, stall holders and what have you that used to work on the North End Road. Um, and as a shop manager, the, world, the world's your oyster from there. You're managing people all the time and customers. So there's all sorts of different routes you can take. Uh, I, I was very interested in the Labrick studio that used to broadcast to all the studios. That's where I sort of wanted to learn. And they used to have people like Angus Lockrun and all sorts of people who've gone on to all sorts of different things in, in PR and racing. There was Simon Clare, Andy Clifton, Ed Nicholson, all worked in the Labrick studio when I was there. So that maybe is something you might look at if you enjoy your podcasts and your uh, broadcasting. Maybe you could look at getting a bit of experience in the Labrick studio and see where it takes you. You just never know in this day and age with all these different podcasts and blogs, what pair of eyes and what pair of ears are listening to you. You, you, you get yourself out there and you just need that bit of luck, but you can also make your own luck. And my one bit of advice, when you do get that break or that little bit of luck or that opportunity, that's where you've got to take it with both hands. When, when the door opened for me, I made damn sure I took that opportunity. And that, you know, from my days working with Neville and Carragher, that was always very much their attitude. They weren't two footballers blessed with a huge amount of ability. I hope they don't mind me saying that. Gary was a better cricketer than he was a footballer. But when they set their mind on something, be that playing football or working on Monday night football, they would squeeze every last drop out of it. They would throw themselves into it. So when you do get that opportunity, that's when you've got to, you've really got to grasp it. And I think if I've done anything well in my career, when that has happened, and I'll be the first to admit I've had luck on that journey, I've taken those opportunities, like, like taking a chance in front of goal. I've, I've absolutely made sure I've scored. A bit like a Letizia volley. Letizia oh. penalty, Letizia volley, Letizia anything, man <laughs> of God. So, <laughs> blessed with a lot more ability than all the people I've just talked about. Tis, Christ. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, my, my dad would tell me a lot about Southampton versus Newcastle at Dell and Letizia breaking a few hearts, which I'm sure you'd have been absolutely delighted what with. A goal. That, that's my favourite Letizia goal ever, the Newcastle one. He always said Blackburn was his favourite because he scored it past Tim Flowers, who was his mate. But Newcastle, I mean, that was, just, that was his best goal. I, I, I disagree with the great man on that one. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm that was glad. the thing in that in that <laughs> entertainers in that entertainers era when we were chasing titles and we were you know good. We had a horrific record at the Dell. I can never remember winning there. And like I remember once we were two 0 up at half time, and then Letizia does his thing, and oh, it's two two by full time. It's just a horrible, horrible it's place. It was, a pretty, to go. it was a horrible place to go as a fan. I can assure you, everything about <laughs> it was horrible, which is part of its magic. I mean, it was it was it was dreadful. It was dreadful. Everything about it was dreadful. But that made us successful. There, I used to, I used to. You obviously used to love it going there as as a kid. But it wasn't it wasn't the greatest spectator experience you'll ever have. <laughs> well, we've been. I've been to St Mary's ever since, and St Mary's is a fantastic city. It's too nice. Stadium. It's too nice. Everyone too loves nice. playing there now, which is which doesn't work in our favour. <laughs> um, you talked about obviously your experience at Labrooks, and obviously one of your first. Big roles at Sky was uh, the betting one of the betting shows, the full SP with uh, the legendary Jeff Stelling. Now, and how much did you learn off him in, in the early days? And how long did you do you think it made you, if it made you feel more comfortable when you first started? Did you feel like actually I'm all right at, at this? Basically, I felt deeply uncomfortable. If I think it's fair to say, I was I was known as at Sky as the Grim Reaper for years because before the full <laughs> SP came. I worked on the Sky Sports Centre, killed that off. That didn't work. Then I moved to 90 Minutes. I used to present with Matthew Lorenzo, who I learned an awful lot off, and Kirsty Gallagher. The three of us worked together. Kirsty left to go and present a breakfast show called Rise. So that show died. Another one I'd killed off. Then I did the full SP with Jeff, who's an absolute maestro. I mean, Des Lynham is my hero as a presenter, but Jeff isn't far behind. I mean, he's just different. I learned so much off him in terms of preparation, and he'd always say, do it your own way, your own style. So I, when I started doing the midweek soccer specials, just down the track from doing the full SP, I'd, I'd always watch Jeff and I, I learned how he prepped, but I always wanted to do it my way. There was no point trying to be, no one could be Jeff Stelling. He's got a total style of his own. If you tried to be Jeff, you'd fall flat on your face. So I tried to do those soccer specials my way, which is why I tell him to this day, I'm part of his success story because I showed how hard that show is to do. It's so <laughs> difficult and Jeff makes it look so easy. But the full FP only lasted one season. So then I'd, I'd, I'd killed off a third show in four years. So I thought my te television career was was absolute disaster. Uh, but then I got a break. A guy called Andy Cairns, who I owe most of my career to, gave me a shot at Sky Sports News. But because on all those different shows I've talked about, I just went on there and winged it. I absolutely winged it, Johnny. Um, I used to wear a... They wanted to make me look like a sort of city spiv, so I'd wear braces and a tie halfway down my front I looked like an absolute idiot and as I say felt deeply <laughs> uncomfortable but was learning all the time and then I was given my chance on Sky Sports News and I'd never done autocue before I was just literally winging it so they put me in for trial on autocue came off it and said you're useless and I said, well of course I'm useless I've never done it before and they didn't realize I hadn't done it before so I then taught myself over the next two months or so to to use an autocue which is actually quite difficult but it's all practice you just practice 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 and get used to it and again, the door was open. So I literally used every hour God gave to, to use Autocue and learn how to use it. And then I was off and running on Sky Sports News from whenever that was, 2002, 2003. Yeah, 2002, that's why I got on it. God, could you yeah. imagine if you'd have killed Sky Sports News off as well? <laughs> that would have taken some killing. That would have taken some killing. But I think when I joined, they probably thought, oh, no, the Grim Reaper's here. This is, this is the end of all of us. 
but that was it was such it was growing so rapidly as you say sam i'd have done well to to kill that one off not even i can manage that whilst you were being so unlucky with these shows did you not think oh maybe maybe kind of broadcasting in football's not for me and did you did oh, yeah. you ever kind of did you ever kind of try and like worm your way into like at the races for example given what you're doing now no because racing was a very little interest to me then because really you've got you've got to remember i love racing but you've got to realize how small racing is hmm. compared to to football which is a monster by by the time i got my foot in at sky football was everything everything football is what made sky tick really particularly back then so career-wise crikey there i am god i look young <laughs> um, that was thierry's first day that was at the, yeah at the god i remember that well um so very quickly, I realized to get, to get on at Sky was where I needed to be. So, so racing was, I'm afraid at that point, a long way down the, the um, career ambition list. Um, but you're right. I was starting to think, I'm, I'm not sure this is going to pay out, but, but journalism was my thing then. I was still writing and involved as a journalist. So, um, but the TV was just starting to, to overtake it. And then I take a step back when they, when they can the show <laughs> I was on. <laughs> Sky Sports News, as you've mentioned, is so iconic now with a lot of people in the last, say, 20, 25 years or so. Um, and we've, we've actually interviewed Pete Graves, a friend of the show, who, who absolutely loves his job. He loves Sky Sports News. But he was talking about like the adrenaline rush of breaking news. And when you get that story, you've got to report it and you've got to let people know. Do you get the same sort of adrenaline rush like Pete does when he was uh, when he reports on breaking news stories? Pete, Pete's such an enthusiast and such a great guy. I mean, he Pete would get enthusiastic if we say we're going out for a drink tonight. He'd be right on it. <laughs> he, he, he's just a great lad, just a great, great guy, and great fun to work with. Never took things too seriously because <laughs> that when you're on Sky Sports News, you had to remember. You know, we weren't talking about this. Isn't Sky News here? You're not talking about people losing their lives or. Um, all the, the horrific stories after report. We're talking about sport. It's not the end of the world. Pete's attitude is, is perfect. And the same as mine, really. This isn't life and death we were talking about. Obviously, there were some serious stories to cover. Um, so the adrenaline you, you'd get going would be about a big transfer. Or I remember, you know, the biggest ones for me was announcing that Roman Abramovich was buying Chelsea. I remember I remember the Dimitar Berbatov in the corridor at, at Old Trafford the night I was on with Jim White. I was Jim White's foil sidekick whatever you want to put it in the sidecar with him driving very fast in the motorbike i would sit alongside him i'd be the straight man to jim's utter madness for years and sky sports news was a great experience it was a perfect place to learn it was it was the grounding for me learning about television learning about news stories it was just perfect and and i really enjoyed it um would i want it to do it forever no um, but i love my time learned an awful lot and then soccer special started to happen and um, yeah, uh, funny enough, I was, everything was going brilliantly, and then 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 I got ill, so I missed a I missed a year, and that that sort of set me back a long way, um, and then had to start again, and then my career changed overnight, really, with the whole Richard Keys and Andy Gray scenario, um, which sort of became my big opportunity. Yeah, I mean, when did you first got wind that you know they wanted you to be the new main man because? In, in in many senses, I suppose, one, they were kind of big shoes to fill because they'd been doing it so long. But two, obviously, how it ended with them, obviously, obviously shrouded with controversy, which some say they still crave now. But um, how, how did that um, come about? And how long did you have to think about it before you said yes? 
<laughs> I don't think I even needed to think about it. I mean, it was the biggest yeah. opportunity you can imagine. Yeah, looking back, it was it, it was a it was a pretty strange period for me because I, I hadn't been back at work for too long. As I said, I missed a year with my cancer treatment, mm. and I'd come back in and I was just finding my feet again. To be honest, it's very hard when you're away. It'd be like watching you two having to take a break and watch someone else do your podcast. I was having to watch Ian Payne, bless him, do my soccer specials on a Tuesday and Wednesday, and there was nothing I could do about it. You know, I was attached to a chemotherapy drip. It was a, a difficult time. I come back and I was finding my feet. And then it was only a couple of months later when this all kicked off. No, a bit longer than that. Three or four months later when this all kicked off. And I was lucky in a sense because, you know, I'd, I'd never done live football. So I, I didn't even know Andy or Richard. I obviously admired them enormously for what they'd done over the, the previous 20 years. They were icons. So that all happened very quickly and very quickly with Richard resigning and, and Andy losing his job. They put three of us on trial. They called it presenter idol in the papers. Three of us were put on trial. And it was me, David Jones, who does the job I used to do, and Ben Shepard. And all the time, the bookmakers were betting on it. And Gary Lineker was always the odds on favorite to get the job even though he probably wouldn't have left the BBC, I imagine, but he was the favourite to get the job because they probably didn't know much about us three. And I was very much the outsider of the party. I was a 14 to one chance, um, which I should have availed myself of. I didn't. I know some people did. <laughs> and, and my first couple of games were a disaster. Uh, Fulham, Fulham, Newcastle, actually, at Craven Cottage. Oh, it was dreadful. Dreadful. Me, Lee Clark and Cookie and, and Chris Coleman. Oh, it's dreadful. It was dreadful. I thought, oh, well, at least I've had a shot at it. But then I thought, I've got to do a game the next night as well. I think we went to Sunderland the next day. We're equally bad, equally bad. I remember, lesson to anyone who's a presenter, listen, I do a lot of media training with this new company I've set up. And I do. I use myself as an example as the worst interview ever. When Kevin Phillips um, asked him the first question, Kevin, how, how good is it to be back at Stadium Light? I, I can't remember who they were playing, whatever. And he said, great to be back here, blah, blah, blah. So many great memories. My favourite goal was here on a Wednesday night when Niall Quinn knocked one down and I hit it from 25 yards, probably in the derby, probably against Newcastle, I can't remember. And I hadn't been listening to a word to his, of his answer. Not a word, because I was in such a panic. Only my second ever game, I'm looking at my notes. Oh, God, what question am I going to ask him? Hearing the three voices in your ears you have as a presenter. So my second question was... Kev, what's your favourite goal you scored here? And he'd obviously just said it. And <laughs> I, I think the producer came in my ear and called me, a, a, I'm not sure what word I can use on this, but it began with D. And I thought that was the end of my presenting career. And I've had two games. I went home, told my wife, you know, I had a shot at it. I messed it up. Never mind. And then my third game. Yeah, there I am. There I am. There I am. Um, and my third game. God, I've aged badly. My third game was the <laughs> Manchester derby of that weekend. Wow. Wow. And that was the Rooney overhead kick game. And I managed to have a big row with Mike Summerby on that show. And that was the making of me. The bosses love it, loved it. I stood up for myself and, and, and poked the bear a bit and thought, crikey, this is fun. And Summerby was getting more and more angry. And I was being more and more like a la sort of deadline. I'm trying not to, my, my legs were going like this. Well, on top, I was quite calm. <laughs> and from that moment, honestly, I, my odds started to shorten. I started getting better games and... I was called into the boss's office one day and said, we've got great news for you. And I said, what is it? And they said, well, you're going to be the face of Super Sunday and Monday Night Football next season. I said, well, what's the bad news? And they said, you're going to be working with Gary Neville. And I thought, oh, <laughs> oh no. Oh, God, I, I should be pleased here, shouldn't I? Um, and yeah, I was off and running. I couldn't believe, I could not believe it that, that I'd got the big gig. Yeah. 
Um, I, I was just very gonna, fortunate. Oh, sorry, Ed. I was just going to say because I, I, I don't know if this is true, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. Um, I actually got, I, I don't know how true this is, but Gary Neville was meant to be joining the Sky the year before, but decided to stay on at Manchester United for another season. And he, if, he, if he didn't decide to stay on and, and left Manchester United that's the season before, he'd work with Ozzy with Richard and Andy, not with yourself. So it, it was two new faces for people to watch every Super Sunday, Monday night. Um, how did you find that to start with? Because obviously we've seen Gary Neville recently, um, when he's been doing interviews, say, giving you a lot of credit, Ed, because he, he kind of held that, he felt like you held his hand a little bit to start with, and then you just let him unleash. So... Listen, I have no idea if that's true. I find it hard to believe because he, he did very little to start. He wasn't sure that TV was for him at all. I did. It was actually FA Cup final day. And I did, which is the reason I went, oh, no. When I was told I was working with him, I'd done Man United Blackburn at Blackburn. And we hadn't got on at all, at all. And I didn't think he was particularly good either. And I thought that was interesting to meet Gary Neville. We'll probably never meet each other again. But then when I found out that he was going to do Monday Night Football with me on our own, we were thrown together during that summer. And I, it only took one meeting for me to realize, oh my God, this guy's good. And very quickly I realized, oh my God, he's a good guy as well. Because my attitude was the best get, way to get to know someone in, in my industry is to go and have a meal with them, have a glass of wine with them, have a beer with them. And we went out for dinner with the producer, a guy called Scott Melvin, great bloke, great producer, and Duncan East, who was the director. And, and we were very tight. And we went out with Gary that night, I remember it in Chiswick, and we laughed and laughed and laughed. We created this bond very quickly where Gary basically said, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And, and, but he was going to make damn sure by that first weekend in August, he was good at it. So the, the touchscreen was delivered to his house, went to the wrong house initially, but we eventually got there. <laughs> and I got swept up in it because I saw his attitude, just as his attitude, exactly the same when he was a player. He said, I am going to make the most of this. I'm not going to leave anything behind here. And so we rehearsed and we rehearsed and we rehearsed. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm in a whirlwind here because Gary is a whirlwind. And we were both going in at the deep end. Um, and did I hold his hand a little bit? But he held mine as well. And I thought on the first night, it was Ma Man City Swansea. And I have so many strange memories of that. Everyone looks back at that Mancini interview. But yeah. my memories are different to that because we rehearsed. We've been rehearsing for weeks. And... <laughs> The producer said, just take him away. It got relentless on the day. So we went away. We actually played in a cricket net with Gary facing the bowling machine an hour and a half before we did our first ever Monday Night Football. No helmet, nothing. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, imagine he gets one in the eye now. He couldn't care less. He was just loving it. And I, I saw just what a brilliant player he was. I thought I was a good cricketer. I went in and batted and looked like an absolute numpty <laughs> compared to Genev. And then we, we, we were in it together and we were so tight. And I thought he was the calmest man on earth. And then famously, and I've, it's been well documented, when you get that in your ear, you know, two minutes here on air, and I'm absolutely shaking like a leaf. I am terrified. And I look across at Gary and said, in, in, as the way he always says, are you okay? And, he, and I said, Gary, how, how are you feeling? And, and he basically said, I'm absolutely crapping myself. I'm more yeah. nervous now than I was in the tunnel at Wembley 96. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and that first show, let's be honest, was an absolute shambles, culminating in, in Gary... Um, with the interview with Mancini, but so much had gone wrong. And yeah, we got absolutely murdered for it, which was probably the best thing that could happen because from there, we started there and we were just able to go. Doo -doo 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 -doo. And yeah, we, we thrived working with each other. Um, I, I learned so much off him. I think he probably found me 
calm and and someone you know I didn't I never wanted to I, I hated the limelight I didn't want to be the star at all I wanted him to be the star but I quickly realized I could show people that the most unpopular footballer in the Premier League was actually a great bloke family man funny engaging how could I lose really I was able to show Gary Neville in a completely different light and and thankfully viewers seem to love it Oh, it, it it evolved and and blossomed so fantastically well that partnership, and then you added in the extra dynamic of uh, Jamie Carragher as oh, well. Oh God, yeah, I remember. What? I was so opposed to that, Sam. Really? Why? Well, I mean, think what we said about a few minutes ago. I I killed all those shows off, and my television career was a disaster. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there I am at Monday Night Football, riding the wave. I mean, we were flying. We just won an RTS award together in our black tie thinking looking at each other thinking this is utterly surreal and i'm thinking i don't want to change anything here this is the best experience i've ever had in my life let alone television well gary neville had the sir alex ferguson mentality of now we change it you know now we've won the league if you like our, our equivalent of winning the league that's where you change it that's where you you get rid of a stam keen cantona backroom stuff whatever it was and change it to keep that hunger and enthusiasm and keep it fresh so it was Gary who was pushing hard to change things. Um, and me saying, no, we're, 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 I'm on to a win here for the first time in my life. Let's not change anything. And the producers bought into it. It was a great team, honestly. Jack Hazard, Scott, Duncan, all the guys. We were such a team then. And they were keen on the idea. So when I was told it was going to be Jamie Carragher, I've just built up arguably the most unpopular player in the Premier League and succeeded. Then I was getting the second most unpopular player thrown in. And when I announced he was joining, I mean, the whole world went mad. I was having death threats and all sorts. Um, but when, again, when he first came, that first day he came and saw, I, I just knew it was going to work because the two of them just hit it off from the first minute we met. And then I realized this could be absolute dynamite, uh, which, was, which it wasn't to start with, but it got better very quickly. And um, just two two amazing guys to work with i mean i just learned so much from both of them cara again came in and even now sam i've not worked with them for four or five years but if i had a problem or a crisis they'd be two of the first people i'd call they are just just the most loyal good guys it's hard to explain really but with hearts of gold really even though they're two absolute menaces at the same time <laughs> if that it's, makes it's, sense it's, oh that makes a complete sense um but you talk about, obviously, you weren't too sure about Jamie Carragher coming on and just a couple of years after you and Gary had kind of, you know, won these awards. And I'm just looking at some of the first couple of years and some of the, like, matches that you would have been at, like the Aguero moments. You know, Southampton getting promotion, you get a cover, Southampton, on Super Sunday the following season. I think it's against Manchester City. I hated Did it. Did you? I hated it. It was horrendous. It was horrendous. <laughs> I was so excited about it. Southampton, the Premier League, it was like, dream come true and then those first few weeks honestly johnny i hated it i hated it when we, we when we came back at city that day i remember it so well it wasn't quite the poznan but every southampton fan to a man looked up at my studio celebrating with me and i thought this is great but that ended in heartbreak and i'm trying so hard to stay neutral here and it's only a week or so later we then had united at home and again, the high of thinking we're going to win. And then Van Persie got the hat trick and ended in heartbreak. And it is so hard presenting when you've got so much invested in it. I was just crestfallen. I was a fan who won was crestfallen, but then had to be neutral and upbeat. And I hated it. 
<laughs> made my life difficult. And like I was the Grim Reaper on Sky, I was known at Southampton very quickly as the curse. Jose Font christened me the curse because whenever I presented Southampton, they lost. I mean, literally. I think it, it was nearly two years until I presented a Southampton win on Sky when Tadic scored at Old Trafford. So whenever I said, I, hooray, I'm presenting a Southampton game this weekend, every fan, player, everybody said, oh, no, it's, you know, that's a disaster. You're the curse. We, we won't win. And sure enough, every time it ended in... In disaster. So, did I enjoy having Southampton in the Premier League? I really looked forward to it, and it gave me a buzz. But it was an absolute nightmare. Yeah, I, do you know what? I'd be exactly the same if uh, doing that for Newcastle because it just ruins your week if they lose, which it does. they do. <laughs> they do more often than not, and the, and I can imagine it being extra difficult for you, Ed, because the pundits can kind of get away with kind of blurred impartiality because everyone knows their history but they expect the presenter to be straight down the middle and and play devil's advocate when all you want to do is absolutely just either I wanted laugh to go or home. I, I yeah exactly I wanted to go, I wanted to go home and there I had to smile into the break and say how here's the hero of the day uh, you know whoever it was Robin Van Persie with Jeff Shrees with a big smile on my face when I'm thinking you bastard um, yeah. 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 <laughs> I can't tell you how hard it was. I cannot tell you how hard it was. Um, and I didn't enjoy it. I genuinely did not enjoy it. I much preferred presenting it. Because as I say, I, I never wanted attention. I always wanted to be the referee. After a Super Sunday Monday Night Football, I didn't want people talking about me. So I always wanted to stay neutral, quietly go about my business, making these guys the stars. Um, that's always what I wanted to do. That I always talk, talk about it as the deadline. Just gently refereeing without anyone noticing it. Um, oh my god, that brings back dreadful memories, honestly. It really does. Sorry, Sorry Jeff. <laughs> yeah. oh. You've you mentioned Des Lynham a lot, Ed. Um, he is, is he your ultimate role model that you can remember when growing up? Because I think everybody has that football commentator, football pundit, football presenter. They go, Oh, how good is this person? How good is he? How good is she? How do they do it? Why was Des Lynham for you that just that little bit special? He's just a king. He was the king. He never spoke too much. He was the Richie Benno of, of sport, mm. basically. So he could go from one day presenting a World Cup final to presenting the Grand National and just do it just seamlessly. Ice cool, just always had brilliant lines up his sleeve, dry, and never spoke too much. The best presenters, Johnny, never speak too much. Let the pictures do the talking. This isn't radio, this is TV. And Des would start Grand National Day, just say big day today with a little smirk on his face. Yes, honestly, just magic. And he, he was never really interested in being the star. He wanted Jimmy Hill or Lineker or whoever it was who was with him um, to be the star and just did it in this smooth, charismatic way. And at the end of the day, presenters, you can know everything you want about your sport, but the best presenters are the ones with warmth and likability. Um, and that's very much my ethos. I don't, I don't, I don't want people talking about me. I want people talking about the program and how good Sir Anthony McCoy was, whoever it might be. I just gently want to go through it and and just let the stories and the pictures do the talking. And I would never be fit to lace Des Lynham's boots, but I just love the way he did it. Any sports event, a World Cup wasn't a World Cup with Des. Do you remember when he came into vi in Vision when ITV, who I now work with, were up against the BBC, and, and Des would just come in Vision and said, "I knew you'd join us." And just things like that. <laughs> just, uh, absolutely the coolest, the coolest man on earth. 
And he said some very nice things about me, which, which mean the absolute world to me. On my website, I actually have a quote from Des Lynham that I, I just treasure, treasure. He was the doyen of television presenting. Yeah, he was the first one that I remember. I mean, Johnny, you're probably a little, you're a little bit younger no, than me. No, no I, I, I do remember Des Lynham. I do remember Des Lynham. There was more ITV, the Premiership highlights in the 2002 World Cup. They're the, the only memories really I've got of him. I've got a vague recollection. I mean, Ed, I'm 100% sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but another one of his lines, I think it was during the 98 World Cup when like England were playing like Tunisia at 2pm. Didn't he just come on air and just say, shouldn't you be at work? Yes, exactly right. That's exactly right. Absolutely right. Genius. Genius. Absolute yeah. genius. And he was in his pomp. Yeah, all those, you know, with Pavarotti, Italian 90, all that kind of stuff. Just epic, epic Des. Um <laughs> he's just the king he's just the king and these days too many presenters talk too much you've presenters any presenter there's two rules i have again with my media training if, if you listen to social media turn out the lights particularly twitter if you if you're responding to twitter forget your your you're toast and as a presenter you don't have to tell anyone anything that's not your job not your job a lot of presenters got all this information and feel a need to impart it i but the preparation I do on television, I would use between five and ten percent of it. Just have it, but just pick and choose. And your job as a presenter is to get the best out of other people and just make the show flow. Um, so I'll ask it last week. My job was to get the best out of Johnny Murta, Jason Weaver, Ruby Walsh, whoever it was, and just gently make it flow and get the tone right. And yeah, that's that's everyone's you know, TV subjective. That's how I see the role of a presenter. Yeah, that was fantastic with Johnny Murta, who got his first win as a trainer. Obviously, world class jockey back in the we'll day. Lose Johnny, here. Johnny, Johnny will disappear here. He'll, <laughs> he'll zone out. We, we will come back to football very briefly, but you know, I'm a huge, massive, humongous fan of horse racing. So, I would have done the same as you were I in your position. But it must have been a humongous call to leave the face of being the face of Sky Sports Football to take on this new challenge of ITV Racing who had just won the rights from Channel 4, which was an institution for, for decades. Yeah, but it was a very easy decision for me, really. That, that had been my dream very early on. I never thought it would happen. I'd been given this opportunity. Um, it was difficult because, you know, I was contracted to Sky at the time and things were going well. I didn't, you know, I was... I, I was loving doing the job. I was loving my time at Sky. I was loving doing Monday Night Football and Super Sunday. But I'd come to an end, to an era, end of an era because Genev had gone to Valencia, where he was obviously hugely successful. And <laughs> um, so that era had come to an end. We'd done it for six years, and he wanted a different challenge. And if I'm honest, so did I. I, wanted to, I was keen to do something different. And the lure of terrestrial television and the sport I'd loved since I was little was was very very strong um and it was just the timing of it and which meant was it a difficult decision you understand it sam where i'm coming from but to 99 percent of people and i still get asked now if i go to the supermarket in andover or whatever i still get asked to this day why did you leave the premier league people don't get it don't understand it um because football is a monster you know we we were celebrating last week to put it in perspective we got 1.9 million people watching the gold cup England, Scotland got 19.5 million. That just shows you the standing of football and racing. And to most people, it wouldn't make sense, but you can clearly understand it. And it's a decision. You know, I was willing to take a risk after everything I'd been through, illness, blah, blah, blah. And 
yeah, it was a great decision. Great decision. I, I, I genuinely, absolutely love it, what I'm doing. Well, I'm part of that 99% that wasn't too sure back in the day. But it, for someone that if you love like any passion, if, you, if horse racing is your main passion, your main domain, then of course you're going you're gonna to go is, there. Football is, football is too, but don't forget, I've been in football for the first show I described to you, Sky Sports Centre, that was 1999. So I've done, yeah. crikey, 17 years in football. Um, so and, and everyone says racing is your passion. Yeah, but football is too. You know, I, I grew up on a diet of Southampton Football Club. Um, and racing came a bit later than that through my grandfather, who was who was a punter. Um, and I, I just I, I just wanted to do something different, give it a try. And getting into terrestrial television was important to me. And yeah, felt like just wanted to take that risk and 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 did it. So it wasn't it wasn't necessarily as you say, Johnny, my passion for racing because I love both sports. It was more I was just up for a different challenge, really. Did you obviously you've spoken um, about your, your illness? Did that maybe change your perspective on life? And did it did it come back to reference in your thoughts when you think, right, I'm going to swap Neville and Carragher for Matt Chapman and Luke Harvey? <laughs> <laughs> Sir Anthony McCoy said said on the first day at Cheltenham, I remember it well. We were in the wind and the rain. He said, "You've given up a warm studio with Sunes, Henri, Redknapp." Come stand in the wet and the cold with me and Luke Harvey. There is Suey. Oh, I love Suey. I miss him. I miss him. Got on so well with him. I was so scared of him to start with. But then <laughs> I, I, I watched him on the on game on ITV last week. And I thought, oh, I just miss you so much. Look at his teeth there. They're mag- they were magnificent back in the day as well. I don't know what all the fuck was about. <laughs> um, and Suey is someone you'd go in the trenches with. You can see why he was such a great player and why, as a captain of Liverpool, you went with Sunes. <laughs> I'd go over cliffs with Sunes, you know. He'd rev us up before a big game and you just wanted to go with him. Um, but did my illness play a part? Yeah, it did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I still think about it now. This is 10 years ago. I still, when, you know, I'm at a big meeting and I think, how lucky am I to be here? Crikey, you know, um, because for a while I thought I wasn't, I wasn't going to survive it. So to, just to be here is great to then be at a big event. I pinch myself and think, Oof. and you know, how lucky I've been. And when so many other people have, have, have been so unlucky, um, it definitely played a part in my decision. I, I, I think I'd be more willing to take a risk off the back of that. Um, so yeah, and it influences a, a lot of things I do. I feel I feel very very fortunate. I don't feel unlucky to have gone through what I went through at all. Really, I feel lucky to have come out the other side, which sadly so many people don't. And, and during that period, you know, I'd be in a hospital ward at Southampton Hospital. And you'd make a friend with a person who wouldn't be there the next morning. So you could have put yourself in perspective at that point and, and I've, I hopefully I've got life in perspective now. Well, 100% and hopefully everything's okay on that on that front as well. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, yeah, all good. Thank you. Um, you talk about terrestrial TV and that obviously being an aim for you in, in your uh, career. Um, we've had Gabriel Clark on very early on in the Green and Mullen, the show, and he talked about... You're name-dropping a lot today, Johnny. Well, You're name-dropping a lot. Well, sorry, it's just... It's, 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 it, I just, Good guest. I, I feel, I feel Good very, guest. Yeah. Reporter. very fortunate. Guest reporter yeah, he is the best. Yeah, I feel very fortunate. Can I just make a point on him, Johnny? Just on, reference what I'm saying about Des Lynham. Gabriel Clark will do an eight-minute feature sometimes. You might only hear from him twice. The man's a genius. Genius. Hmm. Uh, we, we've we've talked about his montages before, and it, uh, I just find them absolutely brilliant. Inspiration, I think he's one of the best. Um, but he talks about the importance of terrestrial television, and you've you've mentioned it a couple of times already today. Um, me and Sam were talking a little bit about the football side of it, 
in terms of obviously from next year, ITV have got the right along with the BBC for the FA Cup. You've seen it obviously with the, the Euros and the World Cup, that will always be the same unless laws change. How important is it to have some major events or some big events on terrestrial television? Because of course, a lot of things are behind a paywall. Is it just nice to actually see a bit of a balance now? Listen, football's probably the exception to the rule. Football and, and BT, Amazon, Sky do a magnificent job with the Premier League. Magnificent job. It's not, absolutely nothing against them. Terrestrial television is, is just absolutely crucial because without eyeballs, you won't get participation. And you need to inspire the next generation all the time. And to do that, they need to see it. And in my world, a great example is when, when I grew up a long time ago, you'll find this hard to believe, but show jumping was massive. Show jumping was appointment to view television. Have either of you ever watched a show jumping event of any kind? No. Probably not. <laughs> not my choice. I have no interest in show jumping. Zero. But from my childhood, I remember I could, they were all household names. Um, David Broom, uh, Eddie Macken, Harvey Smith. These were all household names. The Hickstead Derby would get 10 million people watching it. It was huge. Huge. And it was seduced by the lure of satellite television. Where's show jumping now? The Hickstead Derby I refer to that used to be, I think it was Easter time, used to be appointment to view television in, in every household, is now on an internet site. I think it's the only place you can watch it. So that's just a warning. Football's the exce exception. If, if Sky, uh, sorry, if racing went down that route, that's where racing could disappear to. Racing got to realize how lucky it is to have terrestrial television coverage because that's what keeps sponsors, all sorts interested, but it also, you need eyeballs for participation. And if you haven't got those eyeballs, a sport can disappear very quickly. And for horse racing, couldn't afford to do that in my opinion. And terrestrial television, be that, it can be that the BBC, ITV, Channel 4, whatever, we're lucky to have it at the moment. But we're only, you know, we're, we're, we're it's like the leasehold. We've got a lease on the rights and we've got to do the best possible job with it to make it as popular and as accessible as we possibly can. We want to make racing for everybody. And that's why terrestrial television is so important. Oh, you're absolutely doing that with ITV racing at the moment, Ed. Um, coverage is fantastic. Um, but and, and what people like Johnny there won't realise is just how relentless the schedule is, especially at the start of the of the flat season and coming into the end of the jumps. But I, I would find it very difficult to believe if the big wigs at ITV said, "Oh, we've got the Euros, we've got the FA Cup next year." Can you just pop on, come and come and help cover? Pugach wants a rest. <laughs> Wonder where you're going with that. that yeah, have, have they not? Have they not been offered you a a, a role as a football no, anchor? They've got a brilliant. They've got a brilliant team. They've got a brilliant team. Seema Seema Jaswal is someone I used to work with. This guy, she's mm. she's brilliant. No, they've got a brilliant team. I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Never say never, obviously, but no is the answer to your question. No, I don't think they need me and I've got my hands full too what I'm doing as well. And they're all doing a brilliant job. So not even something they need to think about, I imagine. We're going, right, we're going to talk about Newcastle memories because obviously being New, a Newcastle fans TV show. Um, got to keep the core demographic happy. Uh, we have to. <laughs> um, it was never dull. It was never dull. I'll give you that. I can imagine. One thing that I have to ask about was the Mike Ashley interview at West Ham. Um, obviously, there's always rumours up in the northeast about his future with uh, his tenure at the football club in terms of um, being an owner of the football club and not being the owner. Did you find out on the day that you had got an interview with him or did you find out five minutes beforehand? I know David Craig did the interview, but when do you get in your ear that 
Right, Ed, we've got Mike Ashley live. That was the last day of the season, wasn't it? Was that that, it was, that yeah. game, wasn't yeah. it? I can't do well to remember. It, 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 it would always be on our wish list, I think. Mm. But we probably didn't know we were getting him, I mean, absolute maximum the day before, and most likely that morning. Um, and Craigie might have sorted that one himself. I can't remember. Um, it was dynamite, though, wasn't it? Um, yeah, but a lot of the time, yeah, yeah, you'll get it in your ear. You'll get no warning whatsoever. Um, I'm just trying. To, yeah, I can't, if I'm brutally honest, I can't quite remember the dynamic. But I, my guess would be, Craigie probably sorted it that morning. I think. Um, fair play to him. It was was Newcastle somewhere where you'd look forward to going, or because of where you live and whatnot, and it's it, it's a bit of a trek. Um, was it? Oh, I've got to get the train up to Newcastle for however many hours. Would you kind of dread it? No, far from it. No, I used to love. I used to love, and, and to be fair, I used to love coming. And I won't mention their names, but the other clubs in the northeast were good fun as well. Um, and Niall Quinn used to know where to go in the evening because don't forget, you go up the day before, you'd, you'd, you'd have a look around, and a, a night out in Newcastle was great fun. We had New Year's Eve there and all sorts. And again, a bit like ITV, I, I was always trying to create that team ethic, so we try and always eat together. And oh, we had a lot of fun. We stayed down by the water opposite where Dwight York used to have a sort of penthouse flat. Um, God, he had some stories of his time at Newcastle. My goodness me. Um, the hotel was great. The city was great fun. So, no, I absolutely look forward to it. And I used to look forward to presenting the games because when things were going well at Newcastle, there was no more fun place to be. I just happened to be going there all the time where, to be honest, the atmosphere was, was, was poisonous, really, which made me think, oh, what a place this would be you know, when on the up, how I'd love to have gone there in, in the um, Keegan days or when the, the club was flying. It would have been the absolute best place to present in the country without a shadow of a doubt. I never got to experience that, which I'm, I'm sad about. I'm very interested to know, like, what the kind of perception is from the outside looking in at, at Newcastle as, as a fan base. And do you think we expect too much? Because obviously you referenced there that the atmosphere is poisonous and it has been over the years, and it, and it would have been last season had, um, you know, if we get, games weren't played behind closed doors. But do we expect too much, or can you see that we've kind of been unfairly treated over the, the past few years? I think I would never want to change that attitude. The, 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 the Geordie Newcastle attitude with the club is the best. It's the absolute best. I love it. Every, every, everyone loves coming to Newcastle, be that pundits, Everybody. But the problem you had is that the players, your Nevilles and Carragher's used to love coming to Newcastle too much because it was always an open game. They generally win. Um, they, they, they enjoyed, you know, they never used to dread coming to St. James's Park because you always gave them a chance. But that for the neutral meant Newcastle was loved by everybody. The Ashley era makes you think all the time to me. What if you did eventually, This is, you know, it's, it's painful for you to listen to, but what an opportunity there is for someone to come in. Just imagine the shirt sales. If, if someone came in with some ambition and love for the club, I mean, the place would just go absolutely mental. The potential is there, but we've been saying it for so long and it still hasn't happened. And it must be so, so frustrating. I'm, I'm not trying to stir this up, but it must be so, so frustrating because there is so much potential there. And if you could just get someone in there with a passion for it, the place could go absolutely mental. And that would make me want to present football again because I would love to go back to St. James's Park when it's absolutely rocking. That would be an experience. Because the other thing I loved 
was the studio up in the gods was sensational <laughs> absolutely sensational what a vista you had up there and one of my memories is sitting up there one day i was really excited about it with david Ginola was one of my guests Ooh. and david i look forward to sitting down and watching the game with him he literally didn't spend one minute in the studio as soon as it kicked off he'd be outside having a fag and yet he had that absolute aura and charm he was awesome i loved him he was he was he was he was basically the david that i was expecting bar from the fact he didn't sit with me <laughs> i like that i think I, I, you don't hear too many stories of uh ex-players in studios and little uh anecdotes of what you've mentioned there so that's a, quite an insight but um obviously you talk about obviously the memories of other players as a particular match or a particular moment in terms of watching newcastle and thinking oh that could be something to talk about there was always drama. It, it, the derby was always the big one. Um, the more memorable ones, funny enough, were at the Stadium of Light rather than at St. James's Park as it happens. Um, remember the game on New Year's Day was good. and um, Yeah, the, listen, for, for the whole six years, Newcastle struggled. We'd often be there um, last day of the season for the wrong reasons, really. Um, and in terms of, I can't, this is a terrible thing to say, I can't remember too many highs of going to St. James's Park. It was, it was more thinking of just what this place could be like, what, what this place could be like. It's just a sea of black and white and so big and the cathedral in the centre of the city. It's, it's just an awesome place. It genuinely is. And hence, no hesitation saying, I used to love my trips there. Love them. Love them. I mean, yeah, not not too much has changed, has it, Johnny? Uh, again, no. it's, it's it's just like the cliche of sleeping giant, isn't it? But you know, maybe one day, maybe one day. Yeah, yeah. But um, what I do have to ask, Ed, just to, just to very very briefly channel back to horse racing. Um, what would you prefer? Top hat and tails at Royal Ascot or flat cap and wax jacket at Cheltenham? <laughs> Bearing in mind that there is a correct answer to this question. Such a horrible question. <laughs> um, I prefer the weather, apart from oh, the, the, down, yeah. the downpour. Um, they're so different. It's so hard because Ascot is so intense. So, so intense. And Cheltenham is something completely different. And before I took the job, I'd be Cheltenham all day long, all day long. But sort of changed a bit. I quite enjoy these summer festivals. Um, Goodwood's the best of the lot. York's Evil meeting, likewise. Um, they're just that bit more relaxed. You know, at Goodwood, we play golf, we play a cricket match, and there's the ball. It's just amazing. But I, to answer your question, you want me to say Cheltenham? I know you do. I know you do. And it's very hard because I'm very yes, lucky do. to do both. But. Ask it in the sunshine, take some beating, I'm afraid. <laughs> Stood out so well, to be, absolutely freezing. To be honest, I've only ever been to Ascot in February for their the, the Ascot Betfair Chase Day. I've never been to a flat meeting in the summer. So, I don't know, maybe I'll have to go. I've been to Goodwood's gorgeous. You're right there, it's absolutely brilliant. But, and it sounds like a lot of fun when you're not I, on I, camera. And I, in, in answering your question, I'm sitting on the fence because every week is so different. The best thing about my job, likewise in football, going to every ground is different. I had studios I liked. I, jub, I judge football clubs by their studio, hence I love Newcastle because that's a, a great studio. The Emirates was, was my favourite because you got looked after there. If you had Merce or Thierry in your studio, honestly, you were looked, looked after like royalty. 
Um, and every week in racing is different. That's what I love about it. So Newcastle this weekend for the Northumberland Plate. I mean, what a contrast to Royal Ascot, but magic in, in, a, in a different but great way. And then Sandown the week after that. Then we've got the July Festival at Newmarket, which is fab and very relaxed. And very quickly, it's the King George, which is, again, is something completely different. Then it's down to Goodwood with Panama hats. And everything is so different, which keeps you going. And I'm looking forward to so many different things. And Cheltenham is so different to Royal Ascot. And both are fantastic. And then Aintree arguably beats them both, talking to 10 million people for the Grand National. You know, it's the biggest thing I yeah. do. Um, so they're all, they're all great, but in, in, for different ways. You are missing one trick, though, with ITV. And I, I do want to see this. So I'm hoping you'll put a word in. You need to get the cameras for, at uh, Cartmel. Yeah, no, funny enough. I, 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 want to see, I want to see you and Matt Chapman in the Sticky Toffee Pudding Shop. That's what we all want to see. Don't rule it out. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Cartmel Sticky Toffee Pudding in the supermarket anyway. But one, I, I say one, our ethos at ITV is, is making racing as accessible mm. and as popular as possible. And part of that, is showing love to as many tracks as possible, big and small. So we want to try and get everywhere. We're trying to add two, sometimes three new tracks a year. So Cartmel's got to be right up there. Um, we need their help to make it happen, but there's no reason why we can't. And it's very much, you know, an ITV mindset to try and get there at some point. So don't rule it out, Sam. It's coming. <laughs> love Cartmel. <laughs> Johnny, even you'd have a good day at Cartmel. It's amazing. I've, I've been I've been to a few races. I've been uh, I've been to York a few times. I loved York when uh, it's a good day there. out, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I was with I was with a few few of the lads from the uni who said, "Oh, you've got to give it a go." So I went three years running. So uh, I, I was a big fan of the York meeting, and I've been to there uh, the Thursday of the national uh, a few years ago, and I, I just remember just thinking, everyone's in such a good mood. Everyone, it's like it's like going to a football match, but you already you've already won. You already know you're going to win the game that day. I, that's that was kind of my feeling I took from it, but. Yeah, what an experience, especially Aintree. What an experience. You're selling it well. Yeah, Aintree's, the magic of Aintree is they've got a race course and an event and a, a three days that the city are so proud of. Um, and Liverpool makes Aintree, as you say, everyone from Liverpool supports it, turns up, and they're going to have fun, whatever is happening, particularly with the weather. It makes no difference. They're there to enjoy themselves. And as you say, they're winning before it's even begun. I'm sure Carragher has been to a few of uh, a few Aintree meetings since you've been at ITV, I can imagine. Yeah, it's normally the <laughs> Friday, unfortunately. Yeah, I sometimes have to turn my phone off. Yeah, well, I've got I've got a final dilemma for you, Ed. Um, an FA Cup win for Southampton or a third Grand National for Tiger Roll? Ooh, Southampton, I'm afraid. Southampton. Yeah, all day long. Yeah, yeah. I'd love I'd love a big day with Southampton. We've come close. We've come close because I've I've got a 12 year old boy who isn't remotely interested in racing. He's the one who, who cried when I said I was leaving the Premier League <laughs> to go to racing. He said, Daddy, what, are you, what have you done? Um, and to see his little face, we've had, all we've had is heartbreak with Southampton, be it semi-finals or League Cup finals. So I'd love him. As a dad, it would give me more pleasure than anything to see. Any trophy will do. It doesn't have to be the FA Cup. Any day at Wembley when we win something, just for my little lad, would, would make me happier than anything so as much as i love tiger and and i haven't been very pleased with the way that the owners have, have have dealt with that situation with the grand national so southampton all day long yeah i i, I would agree with like we're at newcastle as well but um yeah i think that that's the problem with the tiger oil is like the ownership i mean the o'learys don't watch this i'm sure so it's fine but that, listen, that's they're, the... great, they're, great, they're great guys but and i like them enormously actually and they're good fun 
Um, they don't mind an argument, obviously. It's just, <laughs> I just wanted them to realize how big Tiger Roll was for the sport. For me, someone who's trying to make the sport more popular, I had a gem in Tiger Roll. So for them to get all caught up with what weight he's carrying and, you know, for, for kids around the world who like, who've heard of Tiger Roll, I want to see him in the Grand National. How do you explain that the owner's fallen out with a handicapper? I mean, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than After that. After winning that the race the previous two years, you're not, not going to carry a half chunk of weight, are you? But the, yeah, there you go. That's by the by. <laughs> Sorry, Johnny. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's absolutely fine. I'm fascinated. I'm really fascinated by this. But final question for you, Ed. What has been your highlight of your career so far? Goodness me, what a question that is. Um, listen, I feel very lucky to do what I do. I really do. And particularly at the moment with the country suffering so much, how lucky am I to be have a job and have a job I love and to be going racing when so many people can't? highlight of my career presenting any grand nationals unbelievable because that's my late grandfather's one who got me into racing purely because of the grand national and and he died a long time ago you know for him to have seen me presenting a grand national to the world <laughs> and then he was scottish to have a scottish winner in my first one and then win a bafta for it was just utterly surreal so winning a bafta is right up there that would be my off-camera highlight that was an amazing experience absolutely amazing experience making a speech, having won a BAFTA, God. But on camera, it would be Aguero, I think. Um, I still can't believe I presented that moment with that iconic commentary with Martin Tyler. And I've had some great moments. I presented a World Cup final. I presented the biggest events in racing. But that Aguero day at Man City, I still can't get my head around what happened there. That was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. And... Yeah, I was, it was an, I was there moment. It was utterly, utterly surreal. And that, that on camera would be the biggest moment I presented, I think. Yeah, that's just how great sport is, though, because you get these moments that you just couldn't, yeah, listen, in any sort of imagination, put a script to it. It's fantastic. Rachel Blackmore winning the Grand National is not far behind in terms of history. That was, an, again, unbelievable moment. To interview her afterwards and say her say I can't believe I'm Rachel Blackmore and the impact she was having globally to particularly youngsters not even not just young girls but boys as well you know unbelievable moment um, so I've been very lucky very lucky Sir Alex Ferguson's last day at Man United on the pitch that was unbelievable again um, spoiled really very spoiled that's why you can understand why I feel so fortunate well. Ed, you may, you may feel like you've been very fortunate, but you've deserved all the luck in the world with everything that you've done. Some fantastic stuff, especially with ITV and, of course, with Sky, which I've mentioned. But it has been an absolute—it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you for the last hour or so, um, talking all things Sky, ITV, football, even a little bit of horse racing for our Sam. Um, Sam, where can everybody get this podcast? All good podcast outlets. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review. Thank yeah, you. Be, yeah, that would be, be fantastic. <laughs> um, but for myself, Sam Mullen, and of course, ITV's main presenter, Ed Chamberlain, we'll see you all very, very soon.